Thanks for joining us today at City Life. We believe today's message will empower you and point you towards Jesus. But remember that church is so much more than a message you listen to. It's a living, breathing community that we invite you to be a part of. We hope to see you on a Sunday morning at City Life, in person or online. One of the things that stood out to me, like through this, through studying this, is I realized that, like these disciples, the people that were around Jesus, they went. This it covers a span of about three years, the majority of the book of Matthew, and it's like nobody knew who he was. Like they walked and talked with the Son of God, with God Himself, and three years later, they still didn't know who he was. They didn't really know who he was. All they could see was through their filters. And I think even the, this morning, as, we're, as we were worshiping, it's like there's this, there needs to be this thing in us that I think we need to say, God, show me who you are and show me where you're working. And, but more than that, Lord, open my eyes to see where you are, to see how you're working. Because I think a lot of times, you know, Jesus was right there in their midst, yet they didn't know who was there in their midst. And I, you know, the, the, the gospel starts off with, with Jesus saying that the gospel means good news. And, and the gospel, when he said, what is this good news? It wasn't your sins are forgiven. It wasn't... You know, there's a lot of things that we would put into what are the what is the good news, but the good news is literally Jesus said, This is the good news. The kingdom of God is here. This is that's the gospel. The kingdom of God is here, God's system. And he said his our way to access that system was to uh, repent and believe. And there's so much baggage that comes with that term in our mind, that repent and believe, because we don't, we don't really, we've heard it so much, especially if you've grown up in the church world, the word repent has so much attached to it, we don't really understand what repent really means. And I talked about this a few weeks ago, the, uh, a closer way to, to describe the word repent in the Greek word would actually to be to rethink or to to turn away from the way you're going and turn the other way and go a different way. So in other words, take a different path, rethink the path you're on, get on a different path. But that word believe, it's actually a better word for it is trust. Rethink and trust. And what does it mean to trust? I think a lot of times in our, in our Christian experience or in our Christian walk, we, we look at that term trust and it's just, oh, well, I'm just trusting Jesus. Well, what does that really mean? Like you're, we're like meditating. I trust you, 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 I trust you. Like what does it actually mean to trust? Let me give you an illustration of what the term trust means. How many of you have ever done rock climbing? You show of hands? Okay. It's a great, great experience. I mean, real rock climbing. You've gone like on a mountain and climbed a rock. We did some rock climbing or bouldering at the gym yesterday, a few of us, and it was fun. And now it hurts to clap my hands in church <laughs> because I hung on the wall a little too long. Because I'm not a, a strategic climber. I'm a, I'm a muscle climber. And it, that's the dumb way to climb, by the way. 
is I just use all my muscles as hard as I can until I can't use them anymore. Anyways, the, we, the, the first time I ever climbed the side of a mountain, the, it was the first time I ever actually climbed anything. And it was, you know, the, you put the harness on and you get, you get strapped in with a rope and you have your, the person, the belayer, at the bottom who's got the rope and, and they, they say, now you, you can trust me, if you fall, I'm going to hold you. But when you've never climbed before, it's like you put the harness on and you start climbing and it's like you are trusting them. You are trusting them because you, you wouldn't climb as far as you're climbing if you didn't have like some sort of security system that's protecting you. And so there's a certain amount of trust, but to be honest, I'm trusting more in my muscles <laughs> as I go up the side of the mountain. But then you get to the top, then they say, okay, lean back and let this harness take all the weight of your body. And if you've ever done that, it is unnatural. You're 30 or 40 feet up a mountain face, and they tell you, lean back. And you look, and you think, I don't think so. <laughs> like, was this harness tested today? Like, did you test it with a child? I'm a big person. That's trust. The trust is where you fall back, and there's nothing left holding you. And Jesus gives a very specific, the Gospels give us a very specific object of that trust. Jesus said, trust what I'm telling you is true. Trust that my teachings will lead you into the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is not heaven one day. The kingdom of heaven is living in the reality of God's blessing and presence now in our lives. And this is what he said, trust. He said, trust where you think you can muscle your way through, doing your own thing. Trust that what I am telling you will do it better. Trust that what I am telling you will lead you into a place of living and experiencing my kingdom in your life. Matthew, we're now at the section of Ma in the book of Matthew. It's, it start, it's actually Matthew chapters 21 through 25, and we're not going to read the, all of them, but there's some very famous stories in here, very famous events that take place, starting in Matthew chapter 21, which is Palm Sunday. And what this, what this Palm Sunday is, is this is Jesus is, is entering Jerusalem for the last time. And he's coming in on a donkey. And where we get this term Palm Sunday is the people took palm fronds and they, they laid them down in front of Jesus. And, and then they, they, you know, sang Hosanna. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And this was, this was ushering in of a king into Jerusalem. And he, he went into this uh, 
chapter 21 through 25 is where he begins. This is, he's teaching the last teachings of his ministry on earth. This is, this is the last week before he's, he's about to be crucified. And there's, the, these last sets of parables and teachings take on a very specific tone. They, they begin to teach a lot about genuine faith and what it looks like. He begins to teach a lot about perseverance. There's a lot here about preparation. There's a lot here about being ready and being diligent. It's about, there's a lot here about showing up and getting things done. And you know, one of the things, sometimes I hate reading the Bible. (laughs) Because it messes with my theology. You know, I have, I have things figured out, but then I read the scriptures and it's like, well, maybe I, maybe I have a Western version of the gospel. You know, may, I have the, you know, God wants you to prosper and be in health and rich and successful and I like that gospel. The problem is I have a hard time finding it in here. <laughs> I, I read things like, take up your cross and follow me. If anyone wants to save his life, he must lose his life. Oh, wow. It's funny. I don't, I don't hear a lot of messages about that. But, you know, we have a... We tend to read... We tend to interpret the Bible from a very Western viewpoint. We tend to interpret the Bible... Uh, you know... If, if I told the story of the rich young ruler, it would be like this. When he, the rich young ruler, is, J.D. talked about this last week, he came to Jesus and said, what must I do to be saved? And, you know, in my gospel, Jesus says, you don't have to do anything to be saved. I've done it all for you. We've heard that, right? No, what does Jesus say? Go so, so you know the story. Good. <laughs> Go sell everything, give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. And I, my brain is just tilt. It's like, this is crazy. This is madness. Like, who can do this? And when you read the story, even the disciples went tilt. They're like, how can any of us be saved? And Jesus, basically, this is where, that's where he led into, you know, well, with you, it's impossible. With with God, anything is possible. And so, I think if the Bible doesn't challenge our worldview, we're not reading it correctly. I think there's there's a lot in here that we can learn from. And so, I'm going to run through this theme here. I'm going to run through a few of these, just just to give us an idea of the Matthew 21 through, through 24, and then I'm going to stop at 25 and, and uh, look at a couple parables that you probably have heard. And, uh, you know, the theme of this he, here, Jesus is talking about be prepared, be ready. And he, Matthew 21, he talked, this is a parable. And parables are meant to get you to think. That's the purpose of a parable. It's, meant, it's a story he told to get you to think about something. And so he tells this parable of two sons, and he says, what do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, my son, go, to the, go, to, go work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I don't want to. And we have kids that are like that. 
But later he changed his mind and went. And then the man went to the other son and said the same thing. And he said, I will, sir. He an- he, he, sorry, I will, sir, he answered, but he didn't go. Which of the two did his father's will? And they said, the first. And Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God before you. He's talking to the Pharisees here, which are the religious leaders who... We can talk more about them later. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you didn't believe him. Tax collectors and prostitutes did believe him, but you, when you saw it, didn't even change your minds and believe him. And he's, what, what he's talking here, he's saying, he's saying what God is looking for is people that are responsive to him. People that are responsive and doing the Father's will. And then he goes into Matthew. We're just going to jump ahead here because there's too much in five chapters to cover. But then he, he, Matthew 23, if you want to read this, there's a lot of warnings in Matthew 23. It's about living a life of genuine faith. And you could just read it for fun. Matthew 24, there's lots of, lots of end times talk in the in the chapter of Matthew 24 that he's talking about the signs of the end of the age the great persecution this is where he tells the disciples this temple he's at the temple in Jerusalem and he says this temple will be destroyed within this generation and then he talks uh, there there's some things that he talks about in here about the end of the day at the end of days or the end of times which there's lots of debate in the church world. Was he talking about the end of the actual world or was he just talking about the end of this era in Jerusalem right now that the temple was going to be destroyed and this was going to be like Israel would be dispersed. And uh, the, the thing is, he actually tells them, don't focus on this. In other words, the end of this age, don't focus on this. He said, he talks, instead he says, be ready, be diligent and be prepared. And so there's a lot about being prepared. And, uh, and, he, and he talks about not being lazy. You know, just the, the standard things we all need to hear all the time. And then he talks about the, in the seasons of waiting, Matthew 24, he, he's again about faithful and wise servants. Matthew chapter 24, who then is a faithful and wise servant? whom his master has put in charge of his household to give them food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom the master finds doing his job when he comes. And so he's, he's, he's saying here, even though you don't see things going on around you, keep doing what you're supposed to do. Keep doing the work. Keep doing the purpose that you've been put here for. And then I want to jump into Matthew chapter 25. And this is the parable of the virgins. Or what might be more accurate is to say the parable of the bridesmaids. And this is a story. I'm just going to read this and then we'll look into it. It says, at this time, the kingdom of heaven, this is Jesus teaching, at this time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgin, ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the groom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they didn't take oil with them. But the wise ones took oil in their flasks with their lamps. And when the groom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. In the middle of the night, there was a shout, Here's the groom, come out to meet him. 
Then all the virgins got up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise ones, give us, give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. And the wise ones answered, no, there won't be enough for us and for you. Go instead to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. So when they had gone to buy some, the groom arrived. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. And later the rest of the virgins also came and said, Master, Master, open up for us. And he replied, Truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, this is, he's getting to the point of this story. Therefore, be alert, because you don't know either the day or the hour. What is he talking about? Am I the only one who gets confused by parables? You know, parables are supposed to get you a little confused. They're supposed to help you think about something that he's teaching. And so for some context here, because, you know, we don't, we don't grow up, we, we haven't grown up in a culture where any of this makes sense. But bridesmaids, you know, wedding feasts were often at night. And in a day and age where there was no electricity, if you wanted to have light at night, you had to bring your own light. And so this, uh, whether these were lamps, a lot of scholars think these might have actually been torches that you had, to, you had to refill like a well on these torches so they would keep burning bright. And these bridesmaids, they would walk down the path, lighting up the path for the groom who was coming into the wedding feast. And these, these women had one job. Like, this is the whole purpose that these, that these women, that, that these, these ladies have been gathered together. They've been given one job. They have one purpose being there, and that is to usher in the way of the groom. And so, what we see here is, we see that there, there is this, certain task or this certain purpose at this time. And Jesus is in this parable illustrating, be ready for the task that you, you've been placed here for. Be prepared for, for the purpose for which you have been placed. But we see here, we see half of them, they take it seriously. It's like we have this one job, and, and there's a lot of unanswered questions in this parable, but what was... You know, who was the groom? Where is he coming from? Why is he so late to the party? Like, show up on time, mister. We just don't, we don't know what's going on in here. But what we do know is that five people were ready and five were not. And we see the, we see the response when this, this moment of need comes, or this, this moment of opportunity comes. We see the response of five was to turn to the other five and say, Give us the benefits of your preparation and planning so that we can so that you know so we can have the fruit of doing the work, the fruit of being prepared, the fruit of being disciplined, but we don't actually have to do the work of it. And what's interesting here is up until the point where the groom arrived, there was no real discernible difference between the two, between the five and the five. It was, when, it was when that one moment came is where the difference became noticed. And it, that, 
I, I think here, if we were if we were to put into our modern con in our modern context, is that let's take it in the context of spiritual practices, which are you know they're they're things that a lot of oftentimes they're the things that we do that nobody else sees, but they keep us in a state of readiness in our in our own lives, spiritually, emotionally, even physically, that they keep us ready. And if you, with a spiritual practice, let's say you just stop reading your Bible one day. You know, it, it, it's just, just a little too busy. Well, you know, if you skip reading your Bible for a day, you skip prayer for a day, it probably won't matter. You know, as a believer, as a, as a follower of Christ, you can probably get away with a day and it's not going to have that significant of an impact on your life. But what happens if we skip two days? Well, probably not much more. But what about three days? Or what about four days? And this is, this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, he's saying, be prepared. Because we, you may even go five days or six days or a month. And it might not have a noticeable impact on, on your faith or, or your, your life spiritually. But the question isn't, how many days can I get away without reading my Bible and still, you know, have a vibrant faith? The question is, why would we want to find out the answer to that question? Jesus is saying, don't, don't be trying to, you know, how much, can I just have the oil in my lamp and will that be enough? to see me through. He's saying, take the oil with you. Make sure your reservoirs are full. See, if we stop practicing spiritual practices, if we stop, stop the, the habits of, of, of spiritual growth, at first, nothing may be noticeable. And maybe even for a long time, but there will come a time. There will come that moment where where the groom arrives. And in that moment, it will absolutely depend on whether or not we're prepared. It will absolutely, our life, that, that next season of our life will be dramatically altered or influenced by whether or not we've had a habit of being diligent in the season before. And in that moment, you can't look to someone next to you and say, pray for me. Well, you can in that moment, you can't take somebody else's preparation and make it your own. It's in that moment that, that this, is, this is, and again, this is, the, the Bible bothers me. This is where the outcome of the next season of my life depends on what I've done in the last season of my life. Jesus is saying, make sure you're doing the right things in this season of your life. So that the next season is all that I have for you. And he, he finishes it with a warning. Be, what is the warning? Therefore, be alert. Because you don't know either the day or the hour. Well, what, what's he saying? You don't know. That, that term, be alert, it comes from the Greek word Gregorio. 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 And it means... Uh, 
it gives strict attention to, some, to a matter so that a disaster doesn't strike you, is literally what it means. It's, it's pay close attention to something so that disaster doesn't strike you. It's like filling up the bathtub and walking away. How many people have done that? You filled up the bathtub, you walked away, and then you forgot you were filling up the bathtub. Am I the only person? All right. So there's three honest people in the room. Or there's, or the other one. This is my wife's personal favorite. Fill up the tea kettle. Put it on high. And then, like, go do something completely different and forget about it. And then her husband walks in. And our stainless steel tea kettle is now glowing red on top of the stove. That was a long time ago, but but this this is what the, it's the same type of concept. It's be alert. In other words, be ready for for what I want to do in your life because you don't know when it's going to happen. the The important thing isn't what's what or when it's going to happen. The important thing is that you're ready. That we have ourselves ready. Don't let long seasons of waiting distract you from living with wisdom and diligence. Because he's, this is, if, as you go through Matthew 24 and 25, there's, there's this obvious pattern. There will be long seasons of waiting where we think nothing is happening, but in a moment, something happens. He's saying, be ready for that moment. And then let me finish off with the parable you, we've all if you've been in church for 10 days, you've heard this talent or this parable. It's the parable of the talents. And uh, it's an interesting one. It's everything socialism is not. But it, there's actually a very interest, there's some very interesting insights in the parable of the talents. So we're going to read this. It's a little longer so you can follow along. And he tells this story for it's It is like a man about to, this he's talking about the kingdom of heaven. He's saying the kingdom of heaven is just like a man about to go on a journey. And he called his servants and entrusted his possessions to them. To one, he gave five talents. Now a talent, one talent was worth about 15 years of wages. So a talent is not like he gave him 50 bucks and said good luck to you. Like, this could be, we don't know the exact equivalent, but it could be, a t- one talent could be in the millions of dollars. So it's a lot, it's a lot of money. So to one he gave five, to another gave two, and to one he gave one, depending on each one's ability. And so then he went on a journey. Immediately the man, the man who received five talents went, put them to work, and earned five more. In the same way with the man, the man that earned two, earned two more. Sorry, the man with two earned two more. The man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. And after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents approached. He presented five more talents and said, Master, you gave me five talents. See, I've earned five more talents. So this is a pretty good return on your investment. I mean, if you give the guy $5 million and he gives you $10 million back, as a master, you're a pretty happy person. 
And his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. The man with two talents also approached, and he said, Master, you gave me two talents. See, I've earned two more talents. And his master said, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. And the man who received one talent approached and said, Master, I know you. You're a harsh man, reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid, and I went off and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what's yours. And his master replied to him, You evil, lazy servant. If you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered, then you should have deposited my money with the bankers, and at least I would have received interest when I returned. So to take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten. Oh, man, like the socialist just cringed at that one. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have more than enough. But to the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And throw this good-for-nothing servant into the outer darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Well, that escalated quickly. Oh, I got to go fast here. This is interesting. The first two were faithful with what the master had given them. And he gave it back. And we see the, we see the master is pleased. He rewards them. The last one, though, the lesson is in the last one. This last guy who was, he, first of all, we see he was fearful. He was afraid, so he hid. So he lived in fear. But more, but more than that, he chose not to do anything with what had been given to him. See, the, we know the master, it says he gave each according to their own ability. The master was not a stupid master. It wasn't arbitrary dis- distributing wealth to different people. The one who, who got five was capable of managing five. The one who got two was capable of managing two. And this guy who got one, the master, he, he knew this guy is capable of managing one. If he wasn't capable, he wouldn't have got any. So he wasn't taking what had been, had given, been given to him. And it almost... I mean, the end of this story, it almost seems unfair, doesn't it? I mean, God takes just everything away from him and he gives it to the guy who's the richest in this group? Like, how is that fair? Well, first of all, we need to understand Jesus told parables with the, with the, with the intent of bothering us. Like, the idea behind a parable is to get you to think about something. But then we also need, we need to keep in mind the one telling the parable. Like, is Jesus unfair? Is, does Jesus have compassion on the weak and fearful? Yes. So there's something else that we can learn here from this, from this truth, and it's this. People's behavior is a window into their character. And we, we see the, the behavior of this servant is a window into the character of this servant. <clears throat> and you... We see this, we get a glimpse of it when he talks about the master. Master, I know you are a hard man. 
Where in this story do you get the idea that he's a hard man? To the, to the servant who took $5 million and turned it into $10 million, he comes back and says, well done, good and faithful servant. You can keep it all. Let's have a party. That doesn't sound like a hard. That doesn't sound like a hard man. It's a, he lets the others keep their profit and he does it with joy. What this is, is this is an insight into, the, into this guy, to the, to the steward who was unfaithful as to what was, what was working in his heart. He has an internal story about the master that's not true. And it could be argued that the key point in this story is actually this servant's perception of the master. And we have to ask ourselves in this, how do we see God? Is God hard and cruel in your story? Well, let me ask you, does that line up of what, with what we see in Jesus in the scripture? Well, this terrible event happened to me, so that proves that God is not caring. It's, well, does that really prove that God is not caring? That something hard happened? In fact, I think Jesus actually went out of his way to warn us, in this world, you will have tribulations. So hard circumstances aren't evidence of God's not caring. He, he finished that. There will be tribulations. But he said, be of good cheer. I am with you. I will be with you. I have overcome the world. So we see here, the master took pleasure in the success of its servants, in the success of his servants, in them realizing their potential, in them living lives that were expanding and increasing. He took joy in the fact their lives were becoming more and more. And the, the, the last servant, he was really becoming less and less because of his, because of his perception of the master. And, and we see in the end of the par parable, it ends in darkness. Jesus, he used two primary metaphors for about those who would reject him and his teachings. He said they were in danger of fire or darkness. We see the, we see the fire, it's, it's referred to as Gehenna or Gehenna. And the Jewish people knew what Gehenna was. It was a dump that burned 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. It was a dump outside of Jerusalem. So when Jesus said something would go into Gehenna, or Gehenna, it was, it was basically, like, to put it in modern vernacular, it's like, it's a dumpster fire that never goes out. He says, if you hate your brother, you're in danger of your life becoming a dumpster fire. And there were certain warnings that he said, if, if you reject this teaching or if you embrace this way of thinking, look out because your life is going to become a dumpster fire. It'll help you in your devotions this week. But the other one, he says, would end in darkness and weeping and gnashing of teeth. And what is that? Well, darkness is confusion, it's isolation, it's being cut off, it's feeling alone. 
See, that's outer darkness. And what he's saying here is this, this last, the perspective of this servant, the end is outer darkness, confusion, aloneness. And what was that? It was, it was having that wrong perspective of the master. See, when our perspective, when the story, the, the perspective is the story we tell ourselves. When it's wrong, then we get trapped in a story of our own making. It's not truth, but it becomes true to us because we end up in isolation. We end up in darkness. And we've all had that loved one or friend who started making poor decisions. And you hear the, the, you've heard the rationalization go along with it, or maybe even yourself at a certain time in your life, and you realized, as you heard them speak, you realized they don't see this properly. Their perspective is off. They're telling themselves a story that's not true, but their belief in that story is causing it to look like it's true. It ends in darkness. So the takeaway of this parable is that God has given us all something. And he's given us what he's put in our lives. He's put there because he believes we can handle it. We can manage it. So whatever that talent I don't like to use the word talent because sometimes what God gives us doesn't look valuable, but it actually is. Whatever that situation, whatever that challenge, whatever that opportunity that you're looking at right now in your life and you're thinking, this is hard, God is hard. I wanna challenge you on that perspective. God has given you that because he thinks you can turn that into something greater that that can be, with his help, that can be turned into something for good. And that can become something where, he, where there can be reward, even though we don't always understand how, but there can be reward and there can be joy. Let's stand up. Just take a moment, just close our eyes. You can just pray with me. Just pray, Lord, help me to see the things that you've put in my life the way that you see them. Thank you for trusting in me that I can handle this situation, that I can handle what you've put in front of me and I choose to trust in you and in what you say, that as I follow you and that as I obey you, you're able to take each situation and turn it for good, to bring increase and to bring life. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. 
we hope today's message encouraged you. If you want to take your next step in saying yes to Jesus, you can always contact us at cty.lc slash next step or fill out the next step section on the City Life app. It's an honor to play a small part in what God is doing in your life. We look forward to connecting with you soon.